1: Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now, the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper.
0: On Exploring Missions, we've interviewed a lot of people, and it's like the intro says uh, those that have ministries around the world and those that, you know, gather up uh, shoeboxes full of toys to send somewhere. The Operation Christmas Child, but one of my favorite things to do on exploring missions is uh, doing the Bible studies uh, of the, what the Bible has to say about missions. And leading that, and he does a great job, is Nathan, our co host. And uh, Nathan, when we study missions and you see it, it's all through the Bible. It's not that you have to search for it, it's there but it's sometimes how do you present it in such a way that people will understand it and see it. So uh, that's what we try to do here. We want you to realize everybody who's listening, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, been born again, you're on mission for God and we're trying to equip you and encourage you. And one of the things we do is go to the word of God and find out different things using illustrations and analogies. Sometimes we tell stories about missionaries from the past to try to equip our -hmm. our people to be on mission for God.
1: Yeah, so today is going to be a little bit different from a lot of those things. Uh, We'll do a little bit of a Bible study, but nothing really in depth. But today, most of us, maybe even especially the younger ones, like thinking of my children, but most of us are somewhat interested in in animals, right? And what we can learn about animals and Maybe some of us watch nature documentaries and, and things such as that. And so I'm no expert in animals whatsoever. But there's a few lessons that we can learn about missions and how to carry it out, best practices of, of mission work, some things we can learn from some of our, our animal friends. And again, this is actually really not not much of this at all is original to me at all. It's just other people have brought attention to it, and I've noticed it, they've taught it to me, so we're just going to put some of it together today and see how it, how it turns out. So we're going to look at a few animals and and see what they teach us, maybe compare and contrast a few other animals. So the first animal, what what a great animal to start out with, but we're going to talk about a mule, okay? Oh, me. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, that's a great way to start, right? A mule. Stubborn is um, what I always okay, thought Okay, yeah, I... stubborn as a mule, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't you have a couple of mules growing up? Well, when I was
0: a little boy, and this is really preschool and first or second grade, there was my dad would plow with mules. Now, we didn't farm with them, but he did his garden and truck patch with a mule. Okay. And uh, so I had the privilege one or two times to be behind the mule while it was pulling a plow. Okay. I didn't do it very well. My dad was helping me, but
1: I did see it, and I have been a part right. of it. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever ridden a mule, but you'll see. I've I never have. I've actually ridden a horse, but I've never ridden a mule or a donkey. But I have seen like old westerns and and TV shows from the past. You know, and the the guy gets on the mule, and when he gets going really fast, that thing will run sideways. Have you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> That's kind of. I don't know why that is. That's kind of funny. Previously, when I lived in Atlanta, working with uh, resettled refugees, one of my good friends, dear friends that lives there still, originally he's from the country of Eritrea, okay, his name is Yob, and uh, one day Yob and I were out, we were actually prayer walking together, we were walking around and some of the back streets in in our little town of Clarkston, and we happened upon this one street that had a fenced-in front yard, you don't see that really often, but this this was a large yard with some trees and it was fenced in in the front and it was uh in the yard was running around was a donkey and I thought that was pretty strange in the middle of you know here we are in Atlanta and there's this donkey running around in this front yard well Yob my friend he really got a kick out of that he he was he said this is the first donkey I've seen since being in America he said I used to have a donkey and he would talk about how he would you know ride his donkey. He actually used to have a camel, and he'd tell stories about riding a camel, too. (laughs) But we'll save that for another show. Anyway, first thing we want to talk about is about a mule is the simple fact, pretty well known. Mules can't do one thing. They're useful for a lot of things. They're strong. I think they're pretty smart, probably. They're very helpful and useful. Some people have said the West, in the United States, the West would never have been settled without a mule. But one thing mules cannot do is reproduce like you've heard that right, right. okay yes. so a mule is a mix of a, a horse and a donkey but mules themselves cannot reproduce so without knowing a whole lot about it biologically they're just not capable uh, it's really because of the number of chromosomes that that they have but anyway that's that's my really my first point is that as a follower of Jesus as a disciple of Jesus We are called to reproduce ourselves. We are called to make disciples, right? Yeah. So the mark, the primary mark of a disciple is that they make disciples. For a human being, if we were to say a human being is fully mature, what's the primary indicator that someone is fully mature? I'm speaking biologically. Well, the, the ability to reproduce, Right. Well, for spiritually speaking, for a follower of Jesus, have we made disciples? Have mm-hmm. we reproduced ourselves uh, the just the the text that you hear at the introduction of this this show matthew twenty eight eighteen through twenty uh, let me read nineteen and twenty again, we're going to see just a few marks of what a disciple is and what a disciple maker is, okay in verse uh, nineteen, it says, "Go, therefore." And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. All right. So there's four verbs there. And again, if you listen to the show from time to time, you've heard us talk about this. But the primary verb is to make disciples. Okay. That's the commanded verb. So someone that makes disciples does three things in order to carry that out they go go where jesus sends them they baptize right in the name of the father son and holy spirit and then they teach they teach the other disciples to obey all the commands of christ now is there any difference in this text that we can say is there any difference in a disciple and a disciple maker (laughs) i mean what what would you say a disciple makes disciples Yeah, there's really no difference. There's no difference. So if you want to make Hmm. disciples first, you must be a a disciple. Disciple. And if you are a disciple, you're called to make make disciples. disciples. Exactly. So what's a lesson we can learn from the mule is simply that we don't need to be like a mule. We don't (laughs) want to be stubborn and we don't want to fail to reproduce what God has done in our lives through Jesus. We are disciples who are called, all of us, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just the professionals or this person or that person with whatever giftings we think. All of us that are followers of Jesus are commanded and called to make disciples. Okay. When you say that, Nathan,
0: those words, make, it has the idea of investing in when you make something, Right now, while we're taping this, our four grandsons, two of them are yours, and I got two more His sons. I got a granddaughter. But one of the things they do, they've been saying, Pow when are we going to make a treehouse? Well, I had to decide where we were going to do it and if we could. And just the other day, we went and brought, purchased the material to do so. Now, i got to do the labor. Now, God's given us everything we need right? so that Jesus purchased that. The resources. We got the resources. They're in us. Now we just got to do it, Mm -hmm. you know? And and I'm afraid we sit around with all the equipment and never using what God has given us. Mm. You know, that's like having a car and you love it so much you keep it in the garage and never (laughs) run it. Yeah. I mean, you go out there, admire it, and look at it, but it's never put in use. It's never used for what it was intended for. It wasn't intended just observe and look. It was to run. Mm-hmm. We as followers of Christ, disciples, God's equipped us and given us to make disciples.
1: Yeah, We just need to do it. So with that in mind, let's look at some of the practical hows of, of making disciples you can actually call that mission work if you would like cuz we're to make disciples of all the nations okay so crossing barriers crossing borders crossing cultures is what mission work is about so let's look at a, a couple of other animals and we're going to we're going to compare and contrast them okay so let's look at elephants and rabbits now some of you already know where i'm going to go with this but elephants what's one the primary thing you notice about an elephant, well, their size, right? They're right. huge. They're enormous. But one thing you may not know about elephants is the uh, gestation period for a for mother elephant to give birth to a baby elephant. It takes 22 months for a baby elephant to be born. Okay? 22 months of pregnancy for that, for that mom elephant. It's almost two years. Now... It sort of makes sense because they're so big, you know, they would have a long period of time to develop and grow before they're born. Now, again, if we're called to make disciples reproduce, um, we're looking at elephants and rabbits, how they reproduce. Elephants, definitely a long period of time, slow process, but a rabbit, we know it doesn't take them long at all, really just about a month, you know, about a month and you have More rabbits. More rabbits. And the other thing about elephants, they give birth one at a time, one baby elephant at a time. But rabbits can, a litter of, of rabbits. I don't know if that's exactly what you would call a group of rabbits that were born, but you know what I'm saying, several rabbits at one time every month can be born. So if you take a mom elephant and a dad elephant, and then 22 months later you might have a baby elephant. Well, in that same 22-month period, of ra- if you take a mom rabbit and a dad rabbit, you'll have multiple, like 22 generations of rabbits. And in fact, enough rabbits that you'll probably be tired of rabbits. Right. You know, but there's so many. So we get the point, is uh, rapid reproduction. And so we see in the Bible, that's actually what kind of the the method, the way To make disciples is actually more rapid than what we probably think is to be the case. Now, the key to that is two things. One is the message has to be simple enough where you can hear the message one time, respond to it, and decide to follow Jesus. And there's no other outside external qualifications, you know, like take this class. Or wait this period of time before you're baptized or quote unquote join membership of this church. You know what I'm saying? Right. Biblically, you read the the book of Acts specifically, you don't see any of those external parameters put on the growth or the period of time that a new Christian can turn around and make new disciples. You see what I'm saying? I do. So so what they do. Th- they, re, they were born again.
0: Most of the time, they were baptized immediately Immediate as baptism,
1: well. usually, yes. Uh, and
0: then the expectation was... Yeah, you're qualified you're now. You're qualified now. <laughs> yeah. And now, when you get into Paul's writings, Paul would say about a novice or, a, right. you, you know, be careful about that. But that's leadership in a church setting. Yeah, that's leadership. Yep. And, uh, but as far as a disciple,
1: immediate. Yeah. So... A quick turnaround on reproduction, okay? Wow. Not extending that time, but but disciples, making disciples and doing it immediately, rapidly. Now, our focus isn't on the speed. Our focus is on obeying Jesus. Right. And if we do that and we expect new disciples to make new disciples immediately, it's going to happen. Another thing, though, that we can learn from rabbits and elephants is going back to their size. Because of their size, that's probably why the speed of Reproduction can happen at different ways. Now, speaking of, like, say, congregations, local bodies, local churches, generally speaking, we reproduce what we already are, okay? So large churches tend to want to reproduce other large churches, and that just takes a long time, a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of time and effort. But smaller churches, guess what? You know, a lot of times you're part of a smaller church and you think you're at a disadvantage, but here's one thing you're definitely at an advantage of. You can reproduce, you can plant new churches quickly, more quickly than a larger church. So bigger is not always better when it comes to missions. In fact, more effective mission work is done on a smaller scale than larger scale. So just kind of remember some of those lessons then from the uh, elephant and the rabbit. Okay, the mule Doesn't reproduce. That's right. That's a characteristic
0: that is not right. We want to be. We want to. We don't want to be like the mule. The elephant and the rabbit comparison is is the time it shares the gospel and the fruit that comes from that. Yes. And and also when you're small, I remember this as illustration. I've been a part of the Southern Baptist denomination since I was saved as a. Well, I was part of one at ten years old when I started attending, and I've pastored there. And I remember a few years ago when they had what is called the conservative resurgence, Adrian Rogers and men that said, you know, we need to stay on track with the Bible and missions. That was their purpose, mm-hmm. and good education that was theological. And it's talking about how big the Southern Baptist Convention was. Yeah. And here was it takes a long time to turn a large ship around. Yeah. So what you're saying about the elephant and the rabbit, usually churches that are larger, they have a lot more bylaws. They have a lot more procedural manuals, whereas the smaller church, sometimes, man, they gather, they decide to do something, yeah. they do it. Yeah. And so that would be a, that's a good point. So these churches that are small don't look at, oh, we can't do anything. They can.
1: Right. And there's, there are ways, and there there are large churches who do this correctly and do it well, but you know how they do it? They they think smaller. They do their work in a small scale. Okay. Yeah. And so the point is scale. Yeah. Uh, the point is rapid multiplication of disciples. Okay? okay. Gotcha. All right. So moving on, let's look at another couple of animals to compare and contrast. How about frogs and lizards? Just the other day, my son was talking about trying to catch a bunch of frogs and lizards. And you know what he said? I said, well, what? Did you catch any? He said, well, I couldn't catch the lizards. They were too quick. And so that's kind of the point. Think about how frogs and lizards eat, okay, what they eat. They pretty much eat the same sort of things, right? right. I mean, do you know what they eat? I Bugs, I, I guess, right? Bugs. I know they eat bugs uh, for sure. How does a frog catch a bug to eat? That tongue, okay. yeah his. So yeah. the frog, though, what he does, he finds a good place to kind of hide, and he sits there. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And sometimes is he asleep? Is he pretending to be asleep? And finally, that bug will crawl along right in, along right in front of him, and snap. You know that tongue <laughs> comes out, and he has a meal. But he has to wait for a while. He has to be patient. A lizard, on the other hand, he doesn't sit and wait and wait and wait. He moves around. He goes hunting. He he you know he might sneak up on a bug, or he might chase it down. But the point is. The lizard goes to where the, the food is, not waiting for the food to come to it. I really believe a biblical principle is that we, as disciples and disciple makers, wanting to see rapid multiplication of new disciples in churches, we have to go to where the people are, not expect them to come to us. I heard this story many years ago.
0: Some stories you hear and you never forget. I was a young preacher, so you know I was looking for illustrations and I heard about these two churches in a large city. On the marquees, one said, come and worship. The other church said, go and tell. Yeah. And they said, which one is really the biblical model? Go and tell yeah. is a biblical Yes, we do welcome folks yes. to come. Don't get yeah. that.
1: You do both, right?
0: You do both. But as we read in, in Matthew, Go. Yeah, and it it is. I know it as you go, but you go where the
1: people are. It's still That's intentional. It it's still That's intentional. the point: is being intentionally, yes. intentionally sent. Right. Jesus has intentionally sent the church, and not just the church, but you and I, all of us listening even today. He has sent you somewhere to go and make disciples of all the nations, and that could be across the street, down the road, other side of town, in your workplace, in your school. God has called and sent us, we need to recover the idea of being sent and that sentness apostolic being thrust out into the harvest field. And so we need to be like the lizard and going on the hunt, going to look to see where the people are who need to hear the good news of Jesus instead of just assuming they're going to come to us. I mean, you know what happens to the church who sits and waits and waits for the people to come to them? They've probably eventually yeah. have to close their doors. They do. But the church that goes out looking for people, they probably are a healthier church. Right. I mean, I'm speaking generally. But, but uh, the I principle think, is there. I think that's the biblical principle. I do too. All right, so as we go out, as we're sent out into the harvest field and we go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we share the gospel, there's generally two main responses that people will have. And so now we're going to look at another couple of animals to compare and contrast real quickly. And we'll look at the gospel response. Uh, And that is cockroaches (laughs) and moths. Okay, roaches and moths. Okay. And this is real similar. We've all experienced this. So you see a different response to light between a cockroach and a moth. You come into a dark room and you flip on the light switch and you look on the ground what do you might see some scurrying feet he- headed for the darkness headed for the cracks and the crevices yeah. and the corners where they can get into the dark those cockroaches hate the light they like darkness wow. okay mm. but what is a moth like on the other hand and they they gravitate toward that
0: light they go to that light don't they? i tell folks what where i grew up the most exciting thing that happened on the weekend was watching that uh, the bug the zapper, bug, I know what you're zapper. saying. they yes. <laughs> <laughs> would say, boy, that was a big one. <laughs> okay, yeah. off
1: track. Get back on track, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, you kind of wish the cockroaches would go to that yeah, bug that zapper, Yeah, that would be right? great. Get that rid of those fantastic. things. All right. I, I try to convince my wife all the time that actually, scientifically, cockroaches are cleaner than cats, but she doesn't believe me. But I have heard that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so... A man said that to his wife where yeah. you he heard it from <laughs> exactly. <first>. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so... The main difference in, between a cockroach and a moth that we're talking about is their reaction to light. When we go out and share the gospel, we share the light. We shine the light of Jesus, and we present Jesus to people. We represent Him, and people that are prefer the darkness. Guess what? They're going to be, they're going to reject that that invitation. They're going to turn their back on Jesus. They're going to go back into the darkness. Yeah, that should break our hearts, but guess what? We need to find people that are like the moths that are attracted to the light. Yes, and there's enough of those. Whatever mission field that God has sent you to or will send you to, there are enough people who are like moths, or God wouldn't have sent you there because he he his witness doesn't go without any kind of fruit. You know, it's not it doesn't go out in vain. Right, and so. We can look for those people that are responding positively to the gospel of Jesus as we go. And they're
0: all sizes, the moths. I'm amazed (laughs) at how big some of them are and how small some of them are. But it's still the attraction. And God has used us. And I remember even as a 10-year-old lost young boy, saved when I was 12, I, I think what attracted me was to the men, the guys and the men that I knew were saved was their lack of fear because fear dominated my life. And I would see that in that. And I said, man, I need that. Mm. There's usually an attraction that light. Yeah. Let your light so shine before men and whatever that attraction is. And people are attracted for different things.
1: Joy. Yeah. Perseverance. Strength. But it
0: is a light. That draws Man.
1: them. Yes. So real quickly, speaking of perseverance, we want to get to the last animal. We're going to talk about wolves. Now, wolves are not tep- typically seen as a positive thing, okay? And I'm going to use it in a in a way that's not 100% positive. But really, real quickly, let me tell you a true story about wolves. Several years ago, wolves, actually like in the 1930s, wolves were um, basically eradicated from Yellowstone National Park. And they weren't reintroduced into Yellowstone until 65 years later, 1995. Since 1995, as the wolves have been reintroduced in Yellowstone, you know what has happened to Yellowstone National Park? Because the reintroduction of the wolf, the whole ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park has thrived. What has initially come back are the herds of elk. So before, the wolves uh, were not there to hunt the elk. The predator was not there to thin out the herd. And so what the elk would do, they would eat all the stands of willow trees. Because the willow trees were gone, the beavers were not able to thrive and build their dams and eat and then clean the rivers. And so all that effect trickled down from the wolf being gone out of the park. Once they reintroduced wolves, the elk's herds have actually multiplied but thinned out and they're moving around now constantly and so the stands of willow trees are stronger and are growing more fruitful and so beavers now are all over the park in Yellowstone makes all the rivers and the streams and the creeks healthy and functional and so you get the point yeah all right so what i want to draw a correlation to is wolves are like persecution they're like problems they're like suffering they're like trials and troubles in our lives as we follow Jesus and make disciples of him. We try to get rid of them. We try to do our lives without that, those problems and that persecution. But God allows them in our life to bring growth, to bring character, but also to multiply our witness in the world. And so without wolves, we will be unhealthy as a church, without problems, without persecution We won't be functional in this mission that God has called us to. So thank God for the wolves that are in our lives that we can trust Jesus through it all and see him glorified. Nathan, that is a great analogy, Uh, especially the Yellowstone.
0: I I had heard a little bit about that, but not heard it all the way. So in our lives, there's going to be difficulty. The Bible says you live in a fallen world. So if you live in it, you're going to have to deal with it. But he gives us everything we need. And when we're fed and when we're doing it, others are blessed. Yeah, Disciples will make disciples. Amen. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions today on American Family Radio Network. We appreciate you doing that. And we want you to be on mission for God, whether it's across the street or around the world. Uh, And God can use you and let him use you for his glory. Thank you for listening.